Sometimes when we ask our clients really good questions, deep questions, questions that invite them to look beneath the surface of their experience, we're often met with an I don't know, or a pulling away, or an avoidance, a resistance to going there with us. And although this can feel frustrating as a coach, because we know if we can get them to go there, we can uncover something that's blocking them, something that's stopping them from moving forward in their life, from making the changes that they're verbally telling us that they want to be able to make. Although this can feel frustrating, this behavior is actually incredibly wise of them. They've established this unconscious pattern to keep them safe. So even though consciously they say they want to do this work, unconsciously their mind and their body can ramp up to protect them. So in this session, we're going to be exploring this and sharing our own experiences, our learned techniques for how we support our clients in moments like this so we can move beyond the I don't know in a really safe, nurturing, compassionate way. I hope you love it. Hey, this is Laura and you're listening to Expand. Welcome back, love. Let's get into it. I'm really excited for today. This is going to be fun. I think we run into this a lot with clients where we ask them questions, especially when we're starting to tiptoe deeper into this work and they freeze up. They don't know how to answer your questions and it can feel really difficult to break through those walls with them. So Kelly and I wanted to tease this a bit apart with you because there are things going on beneath the surface that we need to explore. We need to let you in on so that you understand what's actually happening beneath the I don't know. Okay. The I don't know rarely, if ever, means I don't know. Sometimes it can. Yeah. So we don't want to disregard that. You know, sometimes someone just really doesn't know <laughs> what you're asking them or how to answer or, mm -hmm. or whatnot. But um, Kelly, I was thinking that we could start by talking about the stress responses that are happening in these moments, why someone might shift into that place of reactivity and like shut down to their innate resilience, their innate ability to think through rationally what's going on in their experience or to answer the questions yeah. that you're asking them. And then from there, maybe we can look into how to be with them in this moment and how to navigate that with them. Does that sound good for you? That's perfect, yeah. Okay. Should I kick it off? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll bounce off of you. Okay. You bounce off of me <laughs> and then I'll bounce off of you for the second part. Great. <laughs> um, so when you're in a situation where you're tiptoeing into deeper questions with your clients, you're asking them to explore their emotional experiences. You're asking them to be with what's happening in their body. Like you learn about in trigger mapping and so many of our other trainings in here it's not going to be uncommon for your client to react in one of three ways okay the first way is that i think is probably the most common is your client could sometimes try to figure out what they want what you want them to say and then just try to fill in the blank with whatever it is that they think that you're expecting them to come up with Okay, mm -hmm. this one is tricky because it can sometimes fool us if we're not really attuned to our client. Have you ever been in a situation where you're talking with your client and they're telling you something, but there's a part of you that's just like, 
yeah, but do you really believe that? Or yes. like, I don't, I don't trust you. Like, yes, I don't feel like that's genuine. Yeah. yeah. I've had a lot of clients like that. And, and over time, I think I've gotten better at trusting that little intuitive pull, but I had to learn to trust it through like not trusting it and choosing to believe them and then having them like leave the call and go completely haywire and then come back and be like, yeah. And then like act like everything is good. And then like leave again and don't hear from them for two weeks and then come back and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually like things are not okay. And I'm like, Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. I felt like they weren't okay. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's, it's hard in the beginning to trust that little gut because that gut instinct, because on the surface, they're a coachable client, right? On the surface, they check all the boxes. They're agreeing with you. They're eager to do what it is that you're suggesting. They're agreeable with whatever the path is that you're paving for them. So on the surface, they're the perfect client. But if we aren't listening to those, those gut instincts that we have around is this really landing for this person? And we're willing to have the conversation with them about what's actually happening. What Kelly just described is what's going to go on because there's, there's dissonance between their verbal confirmation and what their body is actually communicating to you they're available and ready for. And in situations like this, what their body is communicating always takes precedence because it's their body that's going to dictate whether or not they they um, do what it is that they're agreeing verbally that they're going to do or follow your advice or whatever right when they're not with you mm-hmm. in session their body leaves mm-hmm. their body is what's getting activated it's what's getting re- it's what's reacting in a situation that feels uncomfortable so we have to we have to trust that and not be afraid to ask them about it and i think that's the little hump most of us need to get over is I don't want to ask them about it because it's good right now and they're happy with me. So if I ask them about it, then maybe something's not really good and I don't know how to navigate that. That's right. Right. That fear can be really hard. So that's the first one. The second one is a client can get really agitated or frustrated when they don't know. Right. Who has had this happen where the client sort of gets worked up because like, well, I don't know. And then it's almost like they're projecting onto you a little bit, like they get angry and now you're feeling like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to, it's fine. We need to make them feel better so that we can get back on the same page. So there's that, that fight kind of response where someone is not comfortable with the fact that they don't know, or not comfortable with the fact that you're asking them to have an opinion or to share their opinion or to open up vulnerably. And they react with a bit of a fight response. And then the last one is witnessing a client really just shut down and turn inwards. So head down, shoulders rounded, sitting back, like disengaging from you, almost like they really just want to get up and leave kind of a feeling, right? Has anybody witnessed this in their clients? Yeah. Yeah. So these are the three stress responses that you'll, you'll see clients fall into in a moment where you're asking them to be vulnerable and they have an unconditional or an unconscious conditioning around the fact that it's not safe to show who I really am in this situation. It's not safe to have an opinion. I don't trust my opinion. Maybe they have been conditioned to default to authority, 
over the course mm -hmm. of their life. Maybe they've been conditioned to distrust what they think and what they feel, and they are always outsourcing that to other people. And then when you're asking them to turn inwards, they're getting flustered and they say, I don't know, because they haven't, they really don't, they haven't practiced it. They don't have the language for it. They don't know what they're feeling. And they don't know how to communicate that. So really quickly, you can see that beneath an I don't know, there could be a lot going on. There could be so a much. lot happening. Yeah, so much going on. And I think that it's really important to understand that when your client is shifting into one of those stress response, if they're just trying to please you and just like appease so that we can move forward, we don't have to have this conversation or they're fighting you or they're trying to like get away from you. This is a sign that there's a part of their brain that's down regulating that we're asking them to access. Your neocortex is the part of your brain that's responsible for rational thought. It's responsible for creativity. It's responsible for regulating inside of social interaction. And when that part of your brain shuts down because you're getting activated, you're shifting into a primal place where they are not available to problem solve. <laughs> They're not available yeah. to think rationally or come up with solutions or receive the action steps that you're maybe trying to offer them that is not the time that is not the time they're not available for it their body is communicating that they're activated and that we need to get them back down into a regulated place before we can have that conversation and i think that this is where a disconnect usually happens with coaching client right because the client gets activated and then we try to fix it by giving them something to do right <laughs> yeah and which keeps them say, more okay, in their sure. head yeah yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. And then they say, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. But really they're not rationally thinking. They're not engaged in that process. They're just trying to get out of that situation. So then they're mm -hmm. going to go away and they're not going to do the thing. And then you're going to be like, why didn't you do the thing? You said you would do the thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is this making sense? Does this create clarity around what's actually happening in this issue? It's such a tiny moment, right? It's such a tiny little moment This I don't know, but it holds so much weight in the client experience with you. Mm -hmm. And I think what I would love to invite Kelly to begin to explore with us is the most uncomfortable thing for us to learn how to do in these moments is to just slow everything down so that they can be in what they're experiencing in that moment without rushing through it like they're trying to do or rushing through it like you're trying to do. Because mm -hmm. there's wisdom inside of this experience. And if we don't slow down, we're not going to give their body a chance to come back into a regulated place where they can feel safe with you to explore conversations like this in the future. We're just going to be reinforcing the pattern that I'm not safe here. So then every time we ask them to be vulnerable with us, we're actually unconsciously reinforcing the fact that they're not safe to be vulnerable with us. That's so true. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those situations where client gets triggered and we get triggered that they're triggered. And then we're just mm -hmm. two triggers bouncing off of each other. And exactly. so just like you said, this is the moment where we have to learn to practice that slowing down and that softening in the face of our own 
discomfort of like taking on the fact that they're uncomfortable, that they're probably perceiving that we're the ones that are making them uncomfortable. So now we're feeling bad that like they're working with us and we're supposed to help them feel good, but now they're feeling bad and they're seeing that in us. And there's just so much going on in that moment that are, that would make it so it would feel the most obvious for us to just try to rush to getting them out of where they're, where they're at and what they're feeling by, like you said, trying to layer on an action step or getting them to talk things out with them when they're shutting down more. And and it, it kind of feels like that whole like runner chaser, like attachment style type of dynamic where it's like they're running and now we're chasing them, which is making <laughs> right. them run even more and shut down even more. Right. So I mean, what where I have kind of learned and practiced approaching these types of situations, because it seems like these are just the type of people that I tend to attract. Maybe this is showing me something about me, but it seems like almost every (laughs) client of mine is like this, funnily enough. Um, And so it's just like you said, it's about slowing down and getting them to create space around what they're feeling so that they can start to create safety around it because what their mind is interpreting is happening in their body is this is a threat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the threat could be a lot of different things, like kind of going off of the three different situations that you pointed out. It could be, I'm going to say something wrong. That's going to get me judged or is going to get me rejected or abandoned, or I'm going to, um, I'm going to say the, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know the answer. And so this person is going to think differently of me because mm-hmm. of that. Again, mm-hmm. it's, it's that threat of I'm not safe. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be judged. And so their mind and their body are working together to like shut down in that situation to make sure that that perceived threat isn't real or doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so when we can see that, and I, this is why I love having these conversations with coaches is because it allows us to separate the personalization of their trigger, mm-hmm. because we see that this really means nothing about us. This is just the way that their mind has learned to perceive something that is inherently non-threatening as threatening based Mm -hmm. on earlier life experiences that they had of being shamed or rejected or abandoned or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we see that in in a client, then we get to see the opportunity available inside of it for them to learn how to process what's happening for them and create new language around what's happening for them that's actually going to support them in literally every single area of their life moving forward. Mm -hmm. And they get to practice that in the safe container with you in regards to their coaching, because Mm -hmm. if it's happening with you, it's happening with everybody (laughs) in their life. It's happening with their partner. It's happening with their friends, family at work, maybe in, in different ways, in different contexts, but there is a wound that exists within that client that says it is like this is the vulnerability ceiling. And if we exceed that ceiling, then we need to withdraw. We need to stonewall and protect ourselves. And so it's in these moments, just like you were saying, Laura, that they are not going to be accessible to action steps or doing things or thinking about things differently. We need to get them into a nervous system state that's going to allow them to be receptive to the type of transformation that's available to them. 
And so this is what I've learned to do is to very gently change the direction of the conversation to direct them to what is happening in their body mm-hmm. presently. And that might sound something like, um, I'm going to put a pin in the conversation of where we were just going for a moment, because I am sensing that there is something more important here for us to draw our attention towards Mm -hmm. in this session. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sensing that there is some discomfort in your body right now that is kind of, it's causing you to feel like you can't fully open up in this moment. Does that feel true for you? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And is getting them to, to feel safe to answer that question. Honestly, we don't want to approach it. No can feel vulnerable sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even me just saying that question out loud, if someone were to say that to me in a triggering moment, I would like, feel like I need to pause and be like, is it okay for me to say that I am uncomfortable right right now? Right. Because what's available, like what's going to happen on the other side of me telling somebody that I am uncomfortable yes. in this moment? Yes. Are they going to, are they going to ask me why? Are they going to judge me for feeling uncomfortable? Are they going to uh, tell me that I shouldn't be, you know, right. a lot of the things that we've been trained and conditioned into when we were younger, when we felt upset, don't feel upset. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. we feel like, why are you, like, yeah. why are you yeah, nothing exactly. to be upset about? Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Right. And so this um, is an opportunity for us to teach them that that is that that doesn't have to be how it happens. They they get to be accepted within their full range of their emotional experience with you. I'm so glad you started there. I think that um, it's really important when we're stepping into these conversations, not just to go directly into what's happening in your body right now. Can, like name it. What's going on? <laughs> Right, that can the wall. <laughs> exactly. I think just really gently rounding that corner and going, is this like, is this the experience that's going on right now? This is what I'm sensing. I'm not saying this is true for you, but how does that land? Does that feel true for you? And then from there, I think it's really important. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to interject this little. No, piece. no, this is perfect. I think it's really important that we always ask permission to invite them to touch into their internal environment. We have to always know that people are coming into these moments with a whole bunch of stuff that you know nothing about. You don't know what has gone on in their life. You don't know what trauma they've lived through. You are not trained to help them process trauma. That is not what we're doing here, right? We are here to create a safe space for them to touch into their experience to the degree that they feel comfortable with. And I think it needs to become common practice to ask for that permission, to get that consent to guide them there before just forcing them there or trying to force them there. Right. There can be a lot that's sort of just bubbling under the surface. And it's not that we need to be afraid of it at all. It's just like pausing for a moment to ask, would it be okay if I invited you to just close your eyes and really gently touch into what's there for you right now? Do you feel safe to do that with me? 
Right. And also understanding that when we are creating a safe space, we can't assume that the space we hold for everyone is going to feel safe for everyone. We don't know, like we said, we don't know everything about everyone's experience. And so what feels safe for one person is not going to feel safe for the next person. So as we're learning how to create these safe spaces, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking them, what do you need in this moment to come back to yourself, to feel safe? What needs to happen in this moment? Can I hold some space for us in order to do that? Can we take a breath together? Can we close our eyes and just like touch into what's there right now together? How does that feel for you? And just playing with a few options and seeing how that lands, oftentimes giving someone agency over the way in which we're going to be with this experience can be, can be what makes them feel safe. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the power of this work of guiding them in, in guiding their attention inwards to what they're feeling in their body is it's so powerful because we can guide them into being with the raw sensation that's present in their body without mm -hmm. the story about it. Because mm -hmm. it's the story about what this sensation means that's keeping them in this fight or flight state of like, this is not okay. Something is wrong. I'm, I'm threatened. Like I, I I'm not doing this right. She's judging me, whatever it is. But as soon as we allow them to drop into the body and guide them, and I even say like, okay, I want you to close your eyes and drop out of your mind, just into, I'll ask them where they're feeling it in their body. The most drop into your, that spot in your stomach or your chest, wherever they're feeling it. And I want you to just try to notice what that sensation in your body is like without the story about it, without the story about why it's there, what caused it or what it means, but just mm -hmm. being with the sensation. I might even ask them questions about it. Like, does it feel like sharp? Does it feel nagging? Does it feel like it's gnawing? How big is it? Is it like the size of a basketball, the size of a baseball? And just getting them like really familiar and intimate with what is happening in their body. Mm -hmm. And then one of my favorite questions to ask is, I want you to notice without the story about this sensation, does it feel like a threat? Mm -hmm. And just getting curious with what that raw sensation is. Because the truth is our mind is making it to be this really scary, painful, uncomfortable thing. But then when we drop into it, it's like, it's just like a little gnawing in your stomach, mm -hmm. <laughs> like a little, a little bubble or whatever mm -hmm. in your chest or a little tightness in your chest. But when you breathe into it, when you allow it, it's, it's just energy in the body. That's all it is. It's just energy in the body. That's trying to get your attention because of something that your mind is interpreting outside of you, but without the mind, it's just energy. Mm -hmm. And that can be one of the most powerful insights for somebody to have, because then that's going to allow them to have a different relationship with emotion, with sensation, where they can see the disconnect between what's actually reality in the body and then what the mind tells them. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. I think, you know, and you can adapt that in, in lots of different ways and use different pieces of that in different ways. Yes. So good, Gabby. I think I practice this just about every day myself in some way, shape or form, whether it's on a walk or in meditation, like this can be used so frequently. And I encourage you to practice it yourself, like understanding yes. how to create that separation yourself is crucial to guiding someone else through it. Um, and I think from that place, we're really just inviting them to soften around their experience and be with their experience differently. And from that place is where regulation starts to happen. From that place of detaching from the mental story and dropping into what's happening sensation sensationally in your body is when your nervous system gets to downregulate and come back into a place of resilience. Like, I'm actually not experiencing a threat right now. I can be present in this right now. And then from there, having conversation around, do you feel comfortable revisiting that initial question from this place? Like now understanding that this is where, this is what your body is communicating to you. This is what's happening up in your mind and how perhaps that's not true for you in this moment. Does it feel safe to touch back into that question I asked you a minute ago and have experience it differently perhaps? What comes up for you now? And having patience around there, well, I don't know, right, again. And then going back through the cycle, this may happen a few times. And it may be something that you offer them to play with on their own. You may not get an answer in that session and you have to detach from needing one. That's the most important thing here. It's not about getting an answer to your question. It's about opening the aperture for a different kind of experience for your client and showing them that there is no right or wrong answer in this moment. And it was never even about that. It's about always about learning how to be with yourself in these moments, right? If we don't believe in our clients' innate resilience, we end up merging with our clients and feeling responsible for getting them out of pain or making them feel better or giving them the action step. I think a lot of the time, when we're working with our clients, we unconsciously have a bit of savior complex where we don't believe that they are resilient enough to figure it out on their own mm. and that it's our job. That's why they've hired them. They've hired us to figure it out for them. And that's not true. We have to believe in our clients innate resilience. is so important it's so important without believing in that you are imprisoning yourself and them yeah very true because that's a lot of responsibility to take on <laughs> for ourselves mm -hmm. and then also is of course disempowering them mm -hmm. and i just i can think back to like the very beginnings of my career as a coach like feeling like it was my responsibility to do things for my client and give things to my client that they couldn't do themselves. And so I had to keep that alive in order for me to be mm -hmm. successful as a coach. But then it started to shift where I started to wake up to my own inner resources and 
finding tools that I can use to navigate my life better and being able to receive that from different resources that I was using to support myself and take them and run with them on my own, rather than feeling like I need to continue going back to that same resource. It empowered me to want to keep going back to those same people that were, you know, giving me new tools and new knowledge and new experiences that were positively influencing my life. And that kind of shifted how I feel inside of my coaching as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to come to the chat. We have a couple of questions here. Yeah. There was a really good one by, was it Julia? I think we could even do like a whole bloom room on this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to work backwards. Okay. Let's start with Lucille and let's go backwards. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, Lucille says, is that sometimes why they think they hired us to figure it out for them? Yeah. I think a lot of the times our clients will hire us thinking that, well, I'm just going to hire this person to outsource why I can't figure it out myself. And it's our job to guide our client back to a place where they understand and believe in the resilience that they have within. Right? It's easier just to say, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing to get them to an external result that their ego feels really happy with, and then they're going to go away. And they're still not going to believe that they are resilient enough to move forward in their life with any sort of um, consistency or with any sort of changed innate sense of who they are, what they're capable of. And then they're going to be coming back to us or going to someone else who is less capable. So I think this is a really important conversation to have at the very beginning. If you get the sense that this person is just like, you figure it out, you tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just give me the plan and I'll follow it. Like, okay, you got to pause in that. We have to look at that because they're putting that on you. And just because they're trying to put it on you doesn't mean you have to pick it up. Mm -hmm. Right? It's up to us to be like, okay, I see you trying to place that on me. Um, But let's talk about what this relationship actually looks like. Let's talk about why that's actually not in service of you. Yeah, yes, the I'm reason they're doing tools, that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, that's okay. The reason they're doing that in the first place is because they don't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves. They've been right? conditioned to not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that this gets to be a container for them reprogramming that yeah. by you not picking it up. Because mm-hmm. by you picking it up, you're reinforcing that they're not capable, that they don't have a inner guidance system that they can learn to trust Mm -hmm. and then the work for you is in the background Mm -hmm. being okay not picking it up because you're of course going to fall into friction around that i should have just given them the step i should have just helped them they're struggling it's my job they're paying me right working with that piece of it so there's always a parallel journey the thing that you're guiding them through and the thing that you're guiding yourself through so that you can be that space for them. Um, Great question, Lucille. So good to see you here. Lucille's new to our family, y'all. She just joined yesterday. (laughs) Jenna says, love the idea of incorporating these mindfulness and body awareness exercises. Are there any suggestions for further learning on them? I love this question because my immediate response is, yeah, there's a million. And also my parallel response is, is you don't need them. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I was I was on the I was on the phone with my therapist this week, and she was sharing with me how there's a Buddhist teaching, and I'm I'm not gonna try and quote it because I can't remember it. It was long, and she quoted it beautifully, and I'm just not even going to attempt it. But what it said was the the person who has few practices, few teachings, and actually embodies them, actually lives them, actually spends time with them, is the person who lives a more enlightened, fulfilled, present, alive life versus the person who collects a whole bunch of teachings and practices few. So my real answer to that question, Jenna, is yes and. Yes, there's a million and all you have to do right now and all you have to guide your clients to do right now is literally sit in stillness. Like that's where we should start. We look for exercises so that our brain has something to do. And really, if if we're jumping to those techniques, maybe we need to just take a pause and just be with what's coming up and understand that layer of it first. And then we can weave in visualization and breath work and somatic body work and yoga and whatever else. But until we actually understand what it feels like in stillness, I think that those are just distractions. Yeah, they're keeping you up in your mind thinking yeah. about it, a lot of them. Yeah. And I'm, my answer is this way because you specifically specified awareness. Yeah. When we're, when we're working with the nervous system, when we're trying to downregulate, that's when a lot of these practices can be helpful. But when we're trying to cultivate awareness, stillness is the only tool you need. Okay. Okay, Julia's question. I saw it too. And I'm like, oh, we got to come back to this. (laughs) (laughs) Julia said, I have one client that always says, I'd like to only discuss the positive and not the negative, please. (laughs) I love that she's so direct. What a gift. What a gift. And also like just a brick wall. It feels like I'm sure. Kelly, where would you start with this? Oh my gosh. I know. Well, first I would, I would want to understand for myself and even honor to her that there's wisdom in that desire Mm -hmm. because what she's probably interpreting negative is, is like getting like the more you focus on the negative, the more it takes over, Mm -hmm. like almost getting like swept up in bad emotions and spiraling with them And that's kind of what the term that comes to mind is like emotional indulgence. So when it comes to emotions, we typically have two different patterns that we have with them. And we don't all just express one of them, but we tend to go towards one more than the other. There's emotional avoidance, which is just stonewalling against your emotions and doing everything you can to distract from them. And then there's emotional indulgence where we, there's a feeling and then we keep thinking about the feeling and then feeling more of of it and then thinking about it because we're feeling it and we just get like lost in it. And um, people that have experiences or have either like even witnessed people in their life get sucked into their emotions negatively. Maybe they had someone in their family that really struggled with mental health. Then um, they they create this idea that like emotions are bad or there are negative emotions that if you pay attention to them, there's going to grow. 
and everything is, is going to become worse. So acknowledging and honoring where that's coming from and then helping them see that that's actually very inaccurate because it's actually the pushing away of the perceived negative that's keeping it there. That's actually making it unconscious and then they're living their life based off of that. And so that whole idea of like only focusing on the positive has a good intention of like being grateful and being happy in your life. But when we're just repressing and pushing away what's actually here, then it's more our relationship with that negative negativity that is creating a negative experience of it. And the more that we learn how to be with negativity, emotions, and, and different things that might not be going the way that we want them to be going, the more we're going to be able to take dominion over them and actually live despite them or learn how to live with them. And it's, it's like I said, it's the pushing away of them or trying to turn a blind eye to it that keeps it there or actually puts it unconscious. And then we live based off of that. Yeah, that's perfect. I want to layer on an additional piece that I, that's really powerful, been really powerful for me personally and, and too with my clients. This idea of contrast is really important in this conversation. You know, she only wants to focus on the positive. She doesn't want to focus on the negative, but inside of that, there is a dulling occurring. Like if we try to yeah. orient only towards the positive, how do we know what's truly positive, joyous? Like we can't fully be in that experience if we aren't also open to experiencing the opposite. So it's about increasing the full spectrum of our human experience, both the perceived positive and the perceived negative that allows us to access more depth of joy, more depth of happiness, more depth of presence because it's not only about getting there and staying there, it's about understanding that I have the capacity to hold all of it. And through my capacity to be with the intensity of my full human experience, I actually get to dip into a more rich, positive experience and, and grow more fully from the perceived negative, you know? so. It would be interesting for you to explore with her, you know, at what points in your life do you feel immense joy? Do you feel immense joy? I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm having a moment right now in my life where I'm realizing that I've done a lot of work to detach from placing my value on how much I produce, how much, how hard I work, how much money I make. Like I've been, that's my, been my journey for years. And I'm in this place now where I feel really good about where I'm at in that way. But in the absence of that, I struggle to know what brings me aliveness, what brings me joy, because that's been my life for a decade, you guys. I've been, it's just, that's my reality. And so with your client, something very similar could be taking place where in the absence of striving, we actually don't know who we are, or how to love ourselves. We don't know how to be with ourselves in a new way. And that's both liberating and terrifying and can cause mm -hmm. us to shift really naturally into a negative place because we don't really know how to access the positive without the things that we've just been using to get that high for years, right? So this is a multi-layered conversation and it doesn't all have to happen at once. But I think for you, just stepping into that space with the understanding of 
okay, we need to help her orient around around the negative to feel safe around what she's perceiving to be negative so that we can widen her capacity for a more full human experience. And then we get to rediscover what does make her come alive, what does bring her joy so that we can balance what she's perceiving to be negative with these new experiences that are gonna define who she's becoming. That can be a really beautiful journey um, and also a really painful one. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about it it's both right yummy mm. my therapist told me this week that i'm having an existential crisis <laughs> <laughs> but it's true like when you start to do a lot of this work and you're like hey let me detach from all these external material things that defined me for years what's left in the absence of them is a giant void that you now get to fill but filling it can feel really scary. And I think a lot of our clients go through this too. Like we talk about this in trigger mapping, even at the very end, that last stage, right? Rise, who are you now? What feels scary about being in this space, about re-entering your life with this new identity? It's an important conversation. Julia says, I wonder that. I think if she worked through all the negative and addressed it, she would spend all her time thinking about it because they do consume her. Such a good point. Yeah, and can we be with the idea that we're not working through the negative? We're actually being with it differently. There's nothing to work through, right? There's nothing to figure out. And I think that's our mental attachment to if something's negative, I have to figure it out. I have to get through it. I have to fix something. When really that doesn't exist. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to do, but just, okay, this is my experience in this moment. Can I hold compassion and discomfort at the same time? You can. And it takes practice and intention and awareness and a willingness to be uncomfortable and space to practice it it's not an easy thing it's easy to say it it's much harder to, to implement but that's okay that's this journey yeah beautiful question such a good one thank you for that um just glancing at my i had 10 million notes for this one yeah <laughs> I didn't look at them until just this moment, but I think, I think I touched on everything that I wanted to. How's this feeling for you guys? Does this open our aperture to viewing this in a bit of a different way? Yeah. Kelly, how's this feeling for you? Is there anything you want to <laughs> layer on mm. to wrap up for us or are you feeling complete? I'm feeling complete with this one, I think. Me too. This feels really good. I agree. Hi again, before you go, I wanted to make sure you knew about The Secret Garden. This is my private membership where I give you unlimited access to all my best stuff, like my entire trigger mapping curriculum, all my workshops, monthly immersive live events, weekly live calls, and different layers of support, each designed for you to access at the depth that you desire. I designed it to stretch you to new edges as a coach and a leader, to unravel your conditioning and wake you up to your truth so you can stand in your gift and lead your people from that place. I've linked it up in the show notes for you to explore more when it feels good for you. Okay, I'll see you back here soon. Love ya.